Amen. That song's a blessing, and enjoyed hearing them sing that. And haven't heard that song in a while, but that's a, that's always a good one. And so, it's always a blessing. Let's go and open our Bibles this evening to the book of um, Nehemiah, chapter number one. We're going to go there, and we're going to be in that chapter um, for the sermon. But as we're turning there, I want to we're going to read this first chapter. Going to give some introduction thoughts. We're going to actually look at um, another passage of scripture, um, which would be. Um, Ezekiel. So, but we're going to start in Nehemiah. We're going to look at Ezekiel and then come back to Nehemiah. But just want to make some thoughts here on that. And so, Nehemiah chapter number one. Nehemiah chapter number one. And we'll begin reading the verse number one. The Bible says, "The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, the Hananiah or Hananiah, one of my brethren, came. He and certain men of Judah." And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned um, certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive to the uh, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heavens, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you, God, for your word and all that we see in it, God, we believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And if it's all inspired, God, all of it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so, God, as we study your word tonight, God, we need you to, to speak to us, God. Again, we believe your word is inspired. God, we believe there's power in it. God, help us, I pray, to learn from it. God, help us to grow. Um, help us to live different than we came. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Nehemiah and Ezra were what uh, we would consider contemporaries, meaning they were of the same time. And both of these men, you find them instrumental in restoring God's people back to a nation, if you would. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah were instrumental in restoring Israel and preparing, really, the place for Jesus. Think about this for a moment. Jesus would be the glory that would be in the temple one day. Whenever they saw Jesus there in, in the temple and they gave him his name, he said that he's seen the glory of the Lord and the salvation 
of the Lord there at the birth of Jesus. Ezra was responsible for rebuilding that temple. Another thought to consider is this, that Jesus would be led to Calvary through the gates that Nehemiah had built. And in particular, the gate that Jesus left through to go to Calvary was actually the, the sheep gate or the lamb gate. He was a lamb of God that would come to take away the sins of the world. And so they did not realize that their labor had an impact on future generations. And if I could encourage us as God's people that we would be busy about the things of God, serving God, and, and understand this here today, um, you could serve God at your workplace. You could serve God in your home and in your family. You can serve God in your neighborhood. You can serve God while being out in the grocery store, getting gas, or, or whatever the case may be. But the fact is this, that uh, your witness and your testimony and your labor for the Lord may have an impact on future generations that you don't even realize. These men no doubt understood the promises of God and what they had to look forward to in a coming Messiah, but I don't think they realized all that they were doing and what Jesus Christ himself would do um, through their work. Um, God can take a humble beginnings and God can take people who just have a heart to do what's right and he could use them for greater things than they ever realized. And I want to challenge us that we would look and realize that we have an opportunity to serve God in this life. The Bible says life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Uh, my wife and I are approaching our 40s and I look at that and I'm looking at these things and and I know I'm younger than some, but I'm younger than, I'm older than some of you. And, and let me say this here today. Um, life goes by fast. It was just a few moments ago, it felt like, I was holding my firstborn. It was just a few moments ago, um, I graduated and, and uh, from high school. Just, it just seemed like yesterday, my wife and I um, made our vows. And we, um, she walked down that aisle and, and we listened to a preacher preach for 45 minutes at our wedding ceremony and that sort of thing. But I look at all those things and it's just like it was yesterday. And now, here we are. Again, life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while, then vanisheth away. And so as I, as I consider that thought, and as we, as we look at that, understand this here today, um, now is our time to serve God. You say, well, I've ruined my past. Uh, there's still today. Amen. There's still tomorrow. Um, God can still use you, and I believe he wants to use you. I believe he wants to use every single person in this room tonight. But we have to look and realize that uh, there is a need to serve God. And so um, the title of this uh, simply is Seeing the Need. See the Need. And so last week we looked at Ezra, and in Ezra the statement was made about, not last week, last sermon I preached, the statement was made was, um, who is there among you that, that would go out and serve God? As we look at Nehemiah, um, Nehemiah saw a need. If I could look at it this way, here and help you understand it this way, Ezra would be what we consider drafted. Nehemiah would be what we considered enlisted. Um, you look at that in military terms. Um, I have family um, that has been to war, and uh, my stepfather, my grandfather, uh, my stepmom, her father, all went to Vietnam, and they were drafted as 17 and 18-year-old young men, um, drafted off into war. They went off and served their country. Uh, my, my, I, there's a man in our church in Taos. Uh, his dad went to World War II and, and all that kind of stuff. He was drafted into those things. People were drafted into war. But then I have other family. Um, my uncle, for instance, um, went to Iraq and Afghanistan, and he enlisted in the battle. He enlisted in the conflict as 
Is one greater than another? No, they're, they're both soldiers. They both went and served our country, and I'm thankful for those who, who do that, and I'm thankful for our veterans, for active duty, and, and so forth. But understand this here. You look at one, and one was drafted. Who was there among you? As it said in the book of Ezra, and you look at Nehemiah, well, when he saw the, 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 the gates were torn down and, and heard that the walls are burned and, and all these different things, he, he rose up uh, to the challenge. Both people God used uh, regardless and let me just say this here today um, bring that to the local church um, there may be something that pastor asks you to do um, you're getting drafted amen um, there may be some things where you look and you say you know what um, that needs to be done what's that you're enlisting yourself amen but regardless uh, we have a part in this church body body to do something for the Lord and to serve God. And we could serve Him in our church. Again, we could serve Him in our homes. We, we could serve Him in our workplace. We could serve Him in the community, in our neighbors, and, and so on and so forth. God wants us to serve. And so we see Nehemiah is one who served uh, simply by enlisting himself, seeing the need. As we consider all these things, Nehemiah and Ezra were grown men at this point. But when they were doing the work that God had called them to do, it was 70 years after uh, the, the Babylonian captivity had taken place. Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied that it would be 70 years that they would be in captivity. Those 70 years are now up, and God moved upon the heart of the kings in order to rebuild Jerusalem. And as we consider that thought, I look at this. One generation had sin. But another generation rose up to serve God. And so hold your place in Nehemiah. I mentioned we're going to go to Ezekiel. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter number 22 is our first stop there. And so Ezekiel chapter 22, and then we're going to go to another portion of Scripture. But Ezekiel 22 um, and verse number 30. Ezekiel 22 and verse number 30. 30. A very famous passage of scripture. This scripture is often used in things like mission conferences and so forth, but just in the context of what's happening here with uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, I felt we need to just kind of tie the old generation to the new generation. And so um, Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And I sought for a man among them. So Ezekiel 22 um, verse 30. Ezekiel 22 verse 30. Um, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, um, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And so God was looking for someone who would stand in the gap. And this is the generation that would eventually go into captivity. They would be led forth into captivity. And you read the end of Second Chronicles and you see very clearly what took place and how they ended up going into captivity. The bottom line was this. They, they wanted to live godless lives. They wanted to live lives that were outside the teachings of scriptures. They, they said, no one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me how to live. Um, and they, they despised the words of the prophets and misused them. They hated Bible preaching. Now understand this here. Um, when the Word of God is presented, it's not a matter of whether or not we believe it. It's always true. Um, there used to be a statement where it says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, let me say this. God said it, 
That settles it. Amen. Um, God's word is always true. And these people would not adhere to the word of God. And so God began to seek for some that would go in and be prophets in the land and would proclaim the word of God. And, and there, there were bad pastors and there were false prophets and, and they were preaching smooth words. They had um, itching ears and they, they were heaping to themselves teachers and, and so forth that were with their itching ears. They didn't want to hear the truth of the word of God. And so God said, I need somebody to stand in the gap, but no one would stand in that gap. Now go to your Bibles, Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33, again, this is the generation before the captivity and leading into the captivity. Ezekiel 33, in verse number one, the Bible says, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, Who's he speaking to? The children of thy people. Notice he doesn't say the children of Israel. He doesn't say the, the children of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. To the children of thy people. This is another generation he's speaking to because that first generation, the parents in this situation, the people in this generation were stiff-necked, hard-hearted, and rebellious. And so he says, speak to the children of thy people, the next generation that would raise up. And it's no wonder um, you find men like Daniel, you find men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, that they, they will not bow. Amen? They, they won't uh, um, go with the ways of the world. Why? Because they saw one generation in sin um, be judged severely. And so now the children are being spoken to and they're saying, look, we're going to listen to God. And that's where you find people like, uh, again, Daniel and and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, look, we're going to learn um, the word of God. We're going to follow um, the ways of God, even if the previous generation didn't. I'm reminded of a father that was a drunkard, and he was a drunk all his life and would beat his wife and cheat on her and all these different things like that. You name it, he did it. Just horrible, horrible situation. And he had two boys. And one boy grew up, and he became a drunk just like his dad. And another boy grew up, and he, he lived a clean life. And when they asked both of them, why are you living like this? Their response was this, I learned from my dad. I learned from my dad. We could learn good, we could learn bad, but we learn a lesson. Let me say this here today. There's a lot of young people in our church. I'm going to say this here today. Um, your parents have you in church. Um, they love you. They care for you. They want you to follow the ways of God. But a lot of you, um, young people, you are second generation Christians and your parents are first generation Christians and they, they have a lot of things in their life that they're not proud of and they're trying to teach you the ways of God. They're trying to nurture you in the ways of God and so forth. And understand this here, that there may be some things in your family, um, certain types of temptations and sins that are prominent, but it doesn't have to continue with you. You could break the chain. You could be the one that gets set free. You could say, you know what? I'm not going to go that route anymore. I'm not going to go that path anymore. I'm going to break free from the drugs. I'm going to break free from the liquor. I'm going to break free from the alcohol and, and all the immorality and the bitterness and, and the, all the different things that come with life. I'm going to break free and I'm going to be different. It stops with me. I'm going to break the chains. I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to learn from the previous generation and do that which is right. And so you see here, um, Ezekiel says to the children of thy people, and then he gives this illustration of being a watchman, and, and that's the, the, what the rest of the chapter is, and, and so forth. And, and understand this here today, young person, understand this here, young people, I want you to listen. Um, 
You know, so often someone like me gets up and gives a testimony and how, you know, my, my uncle died of this and there's drugs in the home and, and, you know, divorce and all these different things that happen and, and God saved me and, and just the, the things that I did in my life that I'm ashamed of and all the sin and, and just the things I did that I, I just, I, I'm, I'm just ashamed of those things. And then God saved me. And someone will say, man, that's such a good testimony. And I say, you know what? The only thing good about my testimony is Jesus. That's the only thing good about my testimony. But understand this here today. You don't have to ruin the best years of your life, young people. You don't. You know what a good testimony is? To say I waited till marriage. To say I haven't even kissed a girl, kissed a boy. I kept myself pure for, for that person that I was going to marry and so forth. I don't even know what drugs look like. I've never even tasted liquor. I don't even know what those bad websites are and all that. So that's a good testimony, amen. That's a good testimony. And your parents have you here for a reason because they want you to serve God. And so listen here. And we're preaching to, yes, the adults, yes, the grandparents and so forth. But young people, listen today. You can serve God. You can serve God, and every single adult in this room is rooting for you. Every single adult in this room cares for you. Every single adult in this room wants to see you go off and serve God. Every single one of them. Do we have our baggage? Yes. Are we ashamed sometimes? Yes. But God has been good to us, and we're trying to help you in the next generation. So please, young people, learn, listen, apply what we have to tell you. So you look here, Nehemiah would be one of the children of the people that he's preaching to. He's that next generation that rose up to serve God. He, he would be in that next generation. So go back now in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter number 1. That's all an introduction there. Um, we'll get through this here, have a couple points, and we'll um, be on our merry way. But uh, Nehemiah chapter number 1. Again, the title of the sermon is See the Need. He's one that was from that next generation, and he saw the need. If we're going to see the need, the first thing is this. We need to be concerned. Look again at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The Bible says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, came to pass in the month uh, Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So you find here, Nehemiah, as you read the rest of the chapter, the last verse, it says that he was the king's cupbearer. Um, he worked for uh, King Artaxerxes. And, and just an interesting thought to consider, Ezra was, um, and, and Zerubbabel and so forth in the book of Ezra, um, King Cyrus was led of God in order to go and tell them to rebuild the temple. And now Nehemiah is serving the king, and he's the king cupbearer. There's no accidents with God, amen? Uh, and so he's there in the palace, and, and he, he's wanting to serve God, and he's concerned about his people, concerned about the affairs of his nation, and just the prosperity of the nation, and the blessing of the nation. And he's working there in that palace, and, and he say, well, what's the king cupbearer? Um, pretty much this was it. This is what they thought of the Jewish people. They would have these men... And they would have these cups and the drinks and the food, and they would bring it to the king. But in case someone tried to poison the king, the cupbearer would be the one who would taste it first. 
And if he didn't fall over and die, they said, okay, well, this is good enough for the king. So that tells you what they thought of Nehemiah. I'm there. He was there, and he's just another number. We can just go ahead and kill him off. But God had him there for a reason. And whenever he heard about what was happening in his land, he knew he could approach the king. And I believe he had possibly even developed a relationship with the king. Again, there are no accidents with God. And God used a pagan Gentile king in order to orchestrate the work of God. And when I consider that thought here, I, I, I am, let's put it this way, politics, whatever side you're on, left, right, I, I'm not talking about that right now. The simple fact is this. God could use whatever leader he wants, however he wants, and he's the one that puts them there. We can trust God in everything. And our responsibility is this, to pray for our leaders that they would live quiet and peaceable lives and that they would be honest and godly. That's what the Bible says we're to pray for um, concerning our leaders in the book of 1 Timothy. And I want to challenge us that as we look at our leaders, uh, um, presidential and you know, Senate and Congress and representatives and governors and, and mayors and, and all these different things, that we don't pray against them, we pray for them. Them. And we pray that God would lead them. We pray that God would put his hand upon them and cause them to do things that they don't even know is the will of God. But they're serving God. And that's where Nehemiah was. And God raised up this king and used him to send him off to go and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. So what's the issue with the wall? Well, Ezra rebuilt the temple. And that was the place of worship. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, and that was a form of protection for, for that place of worship. And so they had this wall that was around them, and during biblical times, um, they didn't have missiles, they didn't have AR-15s, they didn't have, um, you know, sniper rifles, and you know, we're talking about all these different hunting rifles, and 338 Lapua, and 50 cows, and all these things. Like They didn't have those things, amen? You say, what did they have? David had a semi-automatic slingshot, amen? He had five rocks, and, and that was about it. You're lucky if he had a, a you know, bow and arrow, or a spear, or, or something like that, maybe. Um, some kind of, uh, you know, throw rocks and that kind of thing, a, a catapult. And, and all that, but that's about all they had. Their defense was a wall, and so they needed to rebuild this wall. And, and whenever Nehemiah heard that the wall had been torn down, he recognized the fact that his people were open prey, and they could be attacked by the enemy at his will. The Bible talks about concerning the devil that there are those that he would take captive at his will. The Bible says the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And when he understood that the walls were down and the gates were broken and burned and, and so forth, it, it burdened his heart because he knew that his people were open attack to another enemy. And that burdened him. He saw a need. So first thing we see is this, Nehemiah was concerned for his people. And let me just ask us here, are we concerned for our people? And we can go all sorts of different directions. Are concerned for our family, the well-being of our children, the well-being of our spouse, um, the well-being of those in our household and our extended family. Uh, just, are they saved? Do we, do we try to witness to our family? Are we concerned for them? Or maybe they, they're, they're wayward and off in, 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 in the wrong direction. Are we concerned? Concerned for them? Are we concerned for our church, our church body? And the needs that are represented here and people that come to this church. And, and, you know, this whole COVID thing is there's some people that when that thing started and they didn't come to church, they haven't been back since. And they don't plan on coming anytime soon. Does that bother us? 
Is that concerning to us? It should bother us that there's some people that haven't been back and, and we need to pray for them and love them. And let me just say this here on a whole other note. If someone comes to church and they haven't been here for a while, don't ask them, where have you been? Don't do that. It's a lot for them to come back if they haven't been here for a while. You know, the best thing you ought to do is put your arm around them and say, you know what, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad that you came to church today. Man, it's a blessing to see you. And just encourage them. Don't put them down. It takes a lot for someone to come back to church when they've been backslidden. Be that breath of fresh air. Don't be a person that just brings others down. And so he was concerned. Are we concerned for our family? Are we concerned for our church body? Because are we concerned for our state? I'm concerned for New Mexico. There's a lot of things in this state that I'm concerned about. But the biggest thing is this. There's a lot of people that are lost in our state. Lost. I mean, this ain't the Bible Belt by any means. And even then, the Bible Belt has a lot of lost people there too. Amen. But the fact is this. Uh, um, there's a lot of people that need the gospel in our state. And that, that's really the greatest need above anything else. It's the greatest need. Our nation. Be concerned for our nation. Be concerned for the world. Do we see the need um, represented. So first thing is this, Nehemiah was concerned. Secondly, um, Nehemiah cried out to God. Again, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4, and we'll start there and, and go down to verse number um, 6. It says, or verse 5, we'll read verses 4 and 5. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. And then he goes off. We'll read the first part. It says, And let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. And so you see here, Nehemiah cried out to God. See, here's the thing. You know, we joke about this all the time. You get two preachers in a room talking. They'll be there for hours and what you guys doing? Oh, we're solving the world's problems. Amen. That kind of so you ever hear that statement? Oh, we just finished solving the world's problems, having these long conversations, talking about all these things. You know what? It is good to talk about that and see what's going on and so forth. But one thing is this: have we prayed about it? You know, it's easy to talk to others about what's wrong. Have we talked to God about what's wrong? He cried out to God. It burdened him. He wept. There's nothing wrong with weeping over our nation and over the, the things that are going on in homes and in families and, and, and the people of our church and in our city. There, there's nothing wrong with weeping over that. You know, I'm reminded of a time, it was um, Good Friday there in Taos, and, and we're getting ready for our Easter service, and that uh, night before, um, we had an evangelist um, preach for us, and he's going to be with us on Sunday. And it was, it was the weirdest thing. He got up and preached. This man, he walks with God. He reads his Bible, prays, good family. Um, our church was there ready to listen. And he preached. It, it didn't seem like a sermon got past the first, you know, foot from the pulpit. I don't know what it was. And I asked him after church. I said, did it seem like there was an oppression in church? And he goes, yeah, it did. He goes, it felt like there was just something between me and your people. And I don't know what it was. And, and I talked to our people, and they all said the same thing. It was the weirdest thing. They've never had that before. But that next day, I said, man, I need to pray for our city. And I started driving around Taos. You know, God, this is a spiritually oppressed area. And I drove around Taos two or three times just um, praying and, and singing to the Lord. And yeah, I do make a joyful noise. Hey, man, just, just trying to get God on me and, and all that. God, I need you to reach this city. God, there's an oppression in this city. God, we, we need you to break through. And, and as we're driving around, we came across a, a cemetery. And there was a um, Los Penitentes. 
Um, the people who do penance for those who um, are supposedly in purgatory, it's not biblical, it's not true at all. And they're walking around this old cemetery and they're carrying these crosses. And I stopped and watched them and they went into the little room and it was a little tiny room and you could hear them banging drums and it sounded just like it came off the Pueblo and they're, they're in there, ah, doing all the things like that and that kind of stuff. And I, I, I'm not like a sensual kind of person, but that scared me. And I looked at that and I said, that's the issue that's going on here. There's people there right now that, that are, are whipping themselves to get people out of hell. They're, they're, they're crawling on their hands and knees to go and eat holy dirt from Chimayo and, and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. None of that is biblical. It's a spiritual oppression. And I went and I told the evangelist what was happening. And we got down and we started praying, asking God to break through that. And praise God, we did have a great day. And praise God, he, he did work. But it seemed like a foul spirit just came right in the middle of our church. So I'm going to plop my myself right here and that and it was it was one of the weirdest things and, and I say all that to say this when it got difficult we began to pray because it was a battle that was beyond human understanding it was an oppression beyond um, physical warfare there's a story of a man once that was at his house and he started hearing these voices there was a revival meeting going on and, and there's the foul spirit in his house he was saying all this stuff and he called the preacher and preacher come to my house i think there's a demon in my house and the preacher said what are you doing i'm sitting on my couch with a gun and the preacher said you can't shoot a demon <laughs> it, just, it doesn't work that way and said, what are you saying the, the the weapons of our warfare are spiritual and it's an issue of prayer. It's an issue of, of coming to the Lord. It's an issue of, of being broken before God and, and seeking God and petitioning Him and saying, God, I, I need you to break through and understand this here today. Some of the people that we're concerned about in our church, they are facing a spiritual battle and they are in bondage beyond what we even understand. And the only thing that's going to get through to them is God. And yes, I understand it's always God that has to do the work and sometimes He could use us, but ultimately God has to be the one that deals with the hardness of Nehemiah. He, he saw a physical problem and he went and did something physical. He went and rebuilt the wall. But before he did any of that, he cried out to the God of heaven and said, God, we need you. You look at there and it says he wept, he mourned, he fasted, he, he prayed, he, he sat down, he couldn't take it standing up. He was broken before God. In verse 5, he said, I beseech thee. He's saying, God, I, I'm begging you, the God of heaven, the Lord God that created all that we see and all that we know the God that spoke it all into existence. God, you need to be the one that gets a hold of the situation. God, we need you to work. I beseech you. I beseech you. And he petitions God and he, he reminds him in verse 5 again that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. And he appealed to God and he said, God, you made some promises to your people. We need you to come through, God. God, you're a God of mercy. You're long-suffering. You're gracious. God, we, we need you to, to show that loving kindness to us right now. God, we need you to work because it's beyond us. And so he asked God for his ear in verse um, 6 and for his eyes. He said, God, listen to me. God, look at the situation. God, I'm praying to you now. And I've been praying day and night. I, I, it's just, it's, just it's, it's a burden I can't get off of me. God, you have to do the work. You have to do the work. And so you see here, he's concerned for his people. Um, he cried out to God. Again, we'll read verse 6. It says, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants. And look at these next words here. 
and confess the sins which the children of, Israel, of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest of thy servant Moses. And so you find here he was concerned. Secondly, you find he cried out to God. Third, he confessed sin. And as you look at that confession of sin, he confessed his own sin. It reminds me of, of Isaiah. And he says, woe is me, for I am undone. He saw God, woe is me. He'd been preaching for five chapters. And he comes to chapter six. And there he is in oh, the first five chapters. You're stiff-necked and, and, and you know, you're, you're hard-hearted and just ripping their faces. And then he has an encounter with God. And he realizes, well, I'm, I'm in the same boat as everyone else. Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And then he said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He dealt, yes, with the national sin that was there, but he dealt with the personal sin. And you see Nehemiah dealing with both. He's confessing sins, and he says at the end of, of verse number 6, both I and my father's house have sinned. He wasn't pointing any fingers at anyone. He's just confessing sin. He's just getting right with God. And, and that'd be good for us every once in a while just to come to God and say, God, you know, I'm sorry for what I've done. And God, I'm sorry for what's going on in my nation. And God, forgive us. Forgive us. The sins that are in our land are, are so rampant. And, and it's easy to call out the, the LGBT and the abortions and, and, and all these different things that go along with that. But what about backbiting? What about bitterness? What about slander? What about pride? What about being dishonest? What about uh, having anger issues? And, and on and on we can go causing division, strife among others. What about those sins? What about those sins? What about not being able to talk to someone across the room in this church because there's something between you and them? We need, to get these, we need to get these things right. There shouldn't be a single person in this church that we can't have fellowship with. There shouldn't be. We need to confess these things and, and make things right. And, and I'll even say that to, to, to anywhere. We, we shouldn't have issues like that. We're God's people. We ought to have peace among each other. And so here we are confessing sin. Maybe that's what we really need to confess. We need to stop looking at the bars and the casinos and all those other places. And remember, the Bible says judgment must begin in the house of God. And so you know what, God? Here today I'm going to confess that I've been bitter as sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, and I'm wrong. I said something against them I shouldn't have. I've been angry at them without a cause. And whatever the case may be, God, forgive me. Forgive me and go to them and say, please, forgive me. I've had a bad spirit towards you. I haven't had a right spirit towards you. And like David said, God, re renew um, a right spirit within me. God, give me a right spirit toward you. And God, give me a right spirit toward the people of Valley Bible Baptist Church and those that I come in contact with. God, give me the right kind of spirit. And so you see here, he's confessing sin. That sin, the Bible says, you look at verse 7, we have dealt very corruptly against you. That word corrupt has the idea of something that's rotted. Something that's rotted. Now, we've been out in the wilderness, and if you've been out in the wilderness any amount of time, you've probably come across some dead animals out there. 
and they're nasty to come across. You'll be down there and you're downwind of something and you smell it and it's nasty and that kind of stuff. But yet you're curious and so you go and look at it and you get even a little more curious and you get a stick and you start poking at it. And then you poke and something opens up and a bunch of maggots fall out and flies go everywhere and it stinks. And like, why did I do that? But you still keep poking at it. Amen. It's just, just how we are. This is the way, well, maybe boys, I don't know if girls are like that, but that's how it is. And so you do that and, and you see those things that are corrupt. There, it's dead. It's 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 vile. It's it's dirty. It's it's nasty. It's something we don't want to look at or even be around. And God looks at our sin as corrupt as a dead corpse that's just withering away. Well, when are we going to realize these things? Six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination. He goes on a proud look and um, hands that shed innocent blood and um, he that sows discord among the brethren and, and lying, all these different things there. And God says that's an abomination. It's like a dead corpse that's just decaying away. It's corrupt. It's corrupt. And so we see that there. And so I want to ask us here, are we willing to confess sin? Not look at others and say they wronged me look at myself and say, I've done wrong. I've been wrong. I've had these issues in me, in my heart that I've been carrying, and I need to deal with these things. It's corrupt before God. It's like a dead body before God that's just withering away. Uh, it's just, you see that there, just that corruption there. So we shouldn't be uh, bitter and so on and so forth. But you look there, dealt very corruptly. And he says, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest um, thy servant Moses. And when you look at all the law and all the prophets, what did Jesus say? Um, love God and love your neighbor. That's what it boils down to. And, and so you look at that here, and I want to challenge us here. Are we fulfilling that? Are we fulfilling that? If we're not, if there's any kind of anger, bitterness, any kind of reserve, anything like that toward God or others, we're not fulfilling what God has commanded us to fulfill. We're not fulfilling those things. And so we need to confess that sin. So one, he was concerned for his people. Two, he cried out to God. Three, he confessed sin. And four, he claimed the promises of God. You look again at verse number eight. It says, remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses. He's saying, God, you remember when he talked to your servant Moses? Remember that word that you gave him? I'm going to remind you of that word. And I'm going to say this here. He wasn't coming to God belligerently, demanding things of God. I've seen some of these um, name it, claim it people where they will take a verse in Scripture and they'll claim that Scripture and they start demanding things from God. Listen, we have no right to demand anything from God. No right at all. Um, we're lucky God even looks upon us. We're lucky that God even hears us. And we, we can come, yes, boldly to the throne of grace. How, how's that? Because we're his children. But understand this here. Um, your kids can come and ask you what they need, but they're not going to come in and just tell you what they want or the bad spirit. No, no, there needs to be some reverence there. And you see Nehemiah, yes, he's claiming those promises, but he's coming humbly. He's not coming in pride. He's not coming belligerently. He's saying, God, remember what you promised. God, God that's the only thing we have to cling to, God. If anything's going to happen, it's because you made this promise, God. And so, God, we're petitioning you, God. We're asking you, God. We're beseeching you. Remember what your promise was, God. We need you to work. And he begins to claim these promises of the Lord there. Again, verse 8, remember, I beseech, the, I bes remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, 
If ye transgress, I will scatter you among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. He, and let me say this, God keeps his promises. He's kept his promises with Israel. He's going to keep his, problems with his pro promises with his children. And I'm thankful he keeps those promises. We still believe in an Abrahamic covenant, amen, and, and so forth. But he's saying, God, do you remember? And he's saying, God, you could put us on the moon. But if we come back to you, you're going to restore us. It doesn't matter how far you put us. God, we trust you. And so he begins to, to ask God to, to do that work again, that reviving work, that restoration work work. And then he says in verse number 10, now, these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. He's saying, God, we're your people. You brought us out of Egypt. You remember the blood of that lamb that was slain that brought us out? God, you, you redeemed us with that strong hand. You, you caused those plagues to happen. You parted those Red Seas. You, you spoke to us from Mount Sinai. You led us through the wilderness. You brought us to the promised land. God, you, you gave us these things. You, you are our redeemer, God. You remember we were the apple of thine eye. And, and yes, he's talking about um, Israel and, and the Jewish nation. But understand this here. That was a picture. Um, He's brought us through the blood of the Lamb if we're saved. Amen. He's parted some seas in our life. If you're saved, you're His child. and He's redeemed you by His strong hand. We can trust Him. We can come to Him. We can plead with Him. We can petition Him. We can pray to Him. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech Thee, let Thine ear now be attentive, let Thine ear now, or let now Thine ear be attentive to the prayer of Thy servant and to the prayer of Thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. Notice the prosperity wasn't the first thing. It was the fear. See, a lot of times people want God for prosperity. They're saying, we want God for God. Yes, we need you. God, any blessing that comes, it comes from you. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Who doesn't want God to bless them? We all, we, we need our bread. We need our water. We need our, 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 we have needs in our home. I, I get that. But the prosperity wasn't the thing they were seeking for. They were seeking to fear God. They wanted that right relationship with God first. And then it says that I pray thee, um, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Talking to the, about the king now, he's saying, God, I need you to speak to the king's heart about these things. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. And so you see him claiming these promises from God. And understand this here today. Um, God has some wonderful promises for us. God wants to do a great work. I believe it with all my heart. He wants, and he wants to do that work here. He wants to do that work among everybody in this room. I believe God wants to work. So the question is this, do we want to do the work of God? All of that was for Nehemiah to go and rebuild a wall. And that wall would be eventually built. That wall would have a gate. And through one of those gates, the Lord Jesus Christ would go on and be led to be crucified. His labor for the Lord turned out to be something greater than he ever realized. And understand this here today, we, we should want to serve God. We should, and there's a labor at hand. Do we see the need? Do we recognize the fact that it doesn't matter, big or small, whatever we do for God has an impact for eternity. Let's serve God. Let's see the need like Nehemiah saw the need. And so with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer.